Well, thank you so much, you guys. Christmas, what a great time, isn't it? How many uh, are enjoying this uh, this January freeze? Yeah. Um, how many have gotten your Christmas presents already? Raise your hands. Come on, let's see. Well, yeah, see, I, we had a wrapping, uh, Christmas wrapping, uh, not not like rap, music rap, but actually wrapping present kind of event yesterday. And we had uh, hundreds of presents wrapped from people from the community who came in. And it was a really neat opportunity just to do what we say we want to do, and that's to serve others in the name of Christ, wherever we are. And so I'm grateful for that and for those who are a part of that. Uh, it was just fun to be here as well and to bring a couple presents. Not that I bought my wife got them, and I brought them and, and had a few wrapped. I, I wanted to make sure everyone was elf credentialed in order to, to make sure they could do that wrapping correctly, but it was great. So, you know, um, in this series, Christmas Promises, uh, the one we're gonna, we're gonna take a look at today is in the book of Deuteronomy. And, uh, it's, it's about hearing, it's about listening. I was with my grandchild, my little grandson, he was about two plus years of age, and it's just a week or so ago, it was the first time I put him down for his nap. And I read, I think, every book that I could read, and I was exhausted and tired and ready to fall asleep. So I finally picked up this big, huge book we have from Dr. Seuss, and I like Dr. Seuss, and so I thought maybe that would even wake me up a little bit. started reading it, and I, and I read a number of them, and, and I was having more fun than obviously he was, but um, at one point I read the story, Horton Hears a Who. You know that story? Splashing in the water of the jungle of Newell, Horton, the elephant, hears a faint voice from a, on a, on a, a clover that he was passing. And he realizes that there are some very small persons that need help and he tries to place the clover in a safe spot. The jungle animals do not believe him. How could there be tiny persons on the clover? Thinking Horton's a fool, they steal the clover and hide it far away because no one believes that Horton can hear anything But he persists, and the entire universe is on that clover, and they need to be saved, says Horton. And so will Horton be able to help the people in Whoville? Will their voice be heard? Can the other animals be convinced? And reading that and thinking about that, you can tell that kids can enjoy this story on a certain level, the writer, the author, is writing at a whole nother level. He's asking kind of epistemological lessons, you know, um, uh, questions such as, can you know something? And can you believe that which you hear, in a sense? Well, a couple of things of this story about hearing and about believing that someone could be speaking to you, that someone could actually guide you, is what people wrestle with when we come to this promise. In fact, there are people in the jungle around us who don't believe that you can hear this voice that Moses tells us we can hear. See, this book, Deuteronomy, is of two words, Deutero and this Namas, which means second law. It's at this time when Moses is sharing once again the law that he 
he brought down in, in the story in Exodus. He's now sharing with them again. And in the midst of giving this law a second time, he's telling them the fact that there will be other voices that will seek to influence them, but they need to listen to this voice. And God actually speaks to him and tells him that there's going to be a prophet to come. So what I want to do is just give you a quick review so you can kind of see where we're coming from. Because all these promises that we are looking at here in the Old Testament paint a picture. They're like brush strokes that as you see the artist through beginning before 2,000 years and then around Abraham, it's about the 2,000 years before Christ. There are prophecy and promise after promise and each of them are like a brush stroke. And so just to take a moment, what I'd love for you to do is look at this. One uh, commentator says, although complex, the Old Testament picture of the Messiah gains in clarity and focus over time as you read through the Old Testament. In other words, it begins broadly but progressively narrows and becomes more specific and precise as you see each promise revealed. And so it begins with God's promise to send a deliverer who will be the offspring of a woman who will crush the head of a serpent, Satan, in Genesis chapter 3, very beginning of the story of, of the Bible. And it then begins to narrow successively. And if you can see on this slide, you'll see that it goes from the seed of Abraham, beginning in Genesis 12, and then there's another brushstroke, a star of the tribe of Judah, and then another one, a star rising out of Jacob, and then one, a prophet like Moses, and you go on further into the story, the descendant of David. And these brushstrokes are painting this picture. So eventually you'll see the Messiah, Yahweh's anointed, Psalm 2. One of the Lord delivers from death in Psalm. A king priest. You get to Isaiah, virgin conceived. The suffering servant of the Lord, Isaiah again. The coming of the Son of Man. The ruler born in Bethlehem. The pierced one who will cleanse from sin and uncleanness. And one writes, the portrait is breathtaking and overwhelming in both its promise and in its particulars. It is like one has discovered an array of magnificent pearls linked together to form a beautiful necklace. Each invites careful study and inspection as you look at, in a sense, these breaststrokes that create this picture of the one who is to come. And this morning, what I want us to do is focus, as you look at this, on that one that's pretty early on. We've already looked at the one in Genesis chapter 49 and Numbers 24. And today we're going to look at Deuteronomy 18. Because here's another brushstroke that comes along that tells us something about the one who is to come that we celebrate at Christmas. And so if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 14 through 19. I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to read this together. little audience participation here, okay. Let's read this. The nation's... You will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said... Let us not hear the voice of our Lord, our God, nor see this great fire anymore or we will die. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. 
And I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would allow for us to see more clearly who Jesus is and understand how Jesus can lead and guide us in our lives. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. If you look at that passage, it says at one point that they, uh, he says the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me. It's going to be from among you, from the Israelites. And, and then he makes that statement, you must listen to him. Because they had asked God and had asked actually Moses to have God not speak to them like they had at the mountain where they saw the fire. They just felt like there is no way that we can stand in the presence of this God. We need someone like you, Moses, to stand who will mediate between God and ourselves because we just can't stand in his very holy presence. See, God is a personal being, completely holy, so that no sin can dwell in his midst. If you want to look at it another way, when they talk about fire, fire has many different purposes, but one of the things you see the word fire and and words similar to that, like a power, is that he is this personal God who is loving, kind, and, and merciful, yet he is this incredible energy, so that even when angels who come from their, his presence stand before a human being, they, they fall to their face. There's almost a sense if you're in the presence of God, that incredible energy, it's like your, your, your system short circuits and you, you can't even stand. And they're saying we, we can't, we can't, we, we cannot come into his presence. We, would you have someone else? And he goes, yeah, that's a good thing you're asking for. So Moses does that for the people of Israel. But he says, the Lord said to him, that, well, what you're asking for is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you who will come from your people and I will put my words in his mouth. And we see that if you go through the story of Exodus so often when, he, when you see Moses coming before Pharaoh, it's the, it's the words that God is putting in his mouth. And he says there'll be one who will do the same. And he'll tell them everything I command him. And I, myself, will call to account anyone who does not listen. So first Moses says, I'm going to share with you in a moment here a direct revelation about one of the promises of one who's going to come. And then next Moses tells them someday this prophet who will be like me is going to come. Who'll stand between you and this holy God. And I also want you to note that God will put his very words into his mouth. And you, you, he didn't say you should. He says you must listen to him. Because the, the last thing he says in this passage is it's important that you do because there will be stiff consequences for anyone who doesn't. And the key word in this Christmas promise is there will be a Messiah who is a prophet like Moses. In the New Testament book, the book called Hebrews, they add a bit more to this than just not only will they be like Moses, but they go on to say that this Messiah that has come is greater than Moses. 
Hebrews chapter 3 verse 3 says, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. And then he gives us a little reason why. Just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. It's, it's kind of like when you go and you look at a picture and you see this beautiful picture and you see who painted it and you go, wow, that's a beautiful picture. And then you see another one, a beautiful picture that's painted by the same artist. And you, you end up going, those pictures are beautiful. It's an incredible thing, but they come from the work of an artist who painted them. And, and it's the person who actually has the creativity and the ability to paint that who receives the greater honor. And he says, in a sense, Moses is, is coming and he contains the law and all the purposes and will of God. And he, he kind of is, shows you that picture of that. But the one that is going to come is the one who actually conceived of it is the one who will actually reveal it in its fullness because he's the artist, the author. And so as you go through Hebrews, he's making this point, um, which he says over and over again, that, that Jesus is greater than Moses. This prophet you're looking for, you're also looking for a king. He will be greater than the great King David. You're also looking at your high priests who, who do also intervene for you. And this one will be greater than the greatest high priest. And he also makes this statement, not only that, this one will be greater than the angels as well. And so you get this picture of this one who will be like Moses. So what I thought it would be important to do is just to take a moment and, and to look at some of the parallels between Jesus and Moses. And Matthew, in his gospel, does an incredible job of outlining how Jesus is this prophet that the, the people have been waiting for. Matthew's gospel is um, written to those who are Hebrew Jewish people. Luke is written to all kinds of non-Jews. And Mark is specifically, as a gospel, written to those in Rome. So each of these gospel writers have a audience they're writing to, this audience would be to those who are followers of, of the God of Moses, the Jews in, in that day. And so Matthew writes this to these people with the aim of demonstrating to them that Jesus is this Messiah who has been predicted who would come. And specifically at one point, part of Matthew's tactic is to compare Jesus with their greatest prophet in Jewish history, who is Moses. And you you need to understand, they saw Moses as the greatest prophet. While all other prophets heard the voice of the Lord through their dreams and visions, Moses spoke, we're told, with God face to face. He performed the greatest miracles in the history of the Hebrew people. He freed them from slavery from Egypt. He provided food in the desert. He gave them guidelines that would direct their thoughts and their life for centuries to come. Has even influenced our own court of law and our legal system. And so as you go through Matthew, it's interesting that in the very first five chapters, Matthew goes to great lengths to compare Moses and Jesus so that these Jewish people can go, yes... Because they, they knew this, this passage of scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 18. They were well aware of it. They were waiting for it so that they can look at this and they go, let's see if he really is. And so as you read through Matthew, here are some of the things that you'll find. Both were descendants of Abraham. He takes great time to make sure that you understand the genealogy. If you read Matthew, you kind of go, wait a second, why in the world do you start out? And it starts out with this very boring sense of a list of names of family. So it shows that he goes all the way back to Abraham. And if you look at Exodus, it's very important that they show how Moses even goes back to Abraham. So here are these two prophets, both descendants of Abraham, the people of Israel. 
Both fled from their homeland. A slaughter of innocent children surrounded their births. Both of them had experienced that. So he's drawing this picture and this illusion. A prophet who is like Moses. Both come out of Egypt. Both went through the water. The, the Red Sea, and it's even referred to at times in other passages of scripture, is like a baptism. It is a saving sign of God's power to take people who are in bondage and free them. And Jesus, as he begins his ministry, is baptized. He even at one point goes, I don't want to be baptized to John the Baptist and, and, and John the Baptist says, I don't, I don't want to baptize you. And Jesus goes, you, you must to fulfill the word of God. Both of them went into the wilderness immediately after going through the water. So here Moses takes all the people through, and the next thing is they're in the wilderness. Not that they were to be there for 40 years, but they end up being there due to their sin. Here is Jesus. He goes through a baptism. The very thing, as you read all the Gospels, what will happen is each after his baptism, it says in Mark, it actually uses the words, he was driven into the wilderness. So he goes into the wilderness where he is tempted to sin. Where in this wilderness fasting experience, he learns what it means to be tested and proved and tried and ready to enter into ministry. And then both went into the mountain to deliver the covenant law. And you kind of go, well, what does that mean? It's a very interesting thing as you read through the um, Matthew and you look at these passages of scripture back in Exodus. The words are very, um, in the Greek, this gets lost in translation. You don't get the same thing in the English translation. But in the Greek, they use a, a directional kind of preposition that it seems kind of funny. It says it goes into the mountain. And it's only used twice in Exodus, and it's very particular about Moses going into the mountain to receive the law from God. When you come to Matthew... He uses the same exact expression. And we know it's the same exact expression because even though this is Greek language, at a certain point, about 200 or so years before Jesus came, the Hebrew Old Testament was translated because so many of the Jews who had been scattered were now speaking Greek language, didn't even speak their Hebrew language anymore. They translated it into Greek and the exact words that are translated there in the Greek are the same ones that is used by Matthew when it says that Jesus went into the mountain where he delivered the Sermon on the Mount. So he's making this incredible point. He's saying, Moses, yeah, he came and he brought the law. He told you the, the will of God. Jesus comes along and he does the same thing, but he goes deeper. He says, this is not about external behavior. This is not about um, my will conforming some kind of um, activity and behavior in your life. It is about your heart. In the Sermon on the Mount, if you read it, and, and, and commentators and scholars and others read it, they'll say, you know, this is this new ethic it's not at all this kind of new ethic that we're trying to live up to. What Jesus is sharing is this is what a person who is truly born of God is like. And you look around, you go, but people aren't like, like in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, constantly um, living in ways where they are um, fully loving people, right? We all know that we fail and we, we fall. He starts using in that scripture in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you've heard it said in the Old Testament that, you know, you've broken the law if you've 
commit adultery. And he goes and he says further, he says, no, no, it's, it's worse than that. If in your heart you lust, you've done that. You've heard it said that, you know, it says in the law that if you're going to be perfect before God and follow him completely, then you have to understand that you, you can't murder someone and, and everyone's going, yeah, that we, we, you know, we follow that. But then he goes and he says to us and he says to all the people around him, Jesus says, no, no, it's, it's more than that. You can't even hold any hatred in your heart. And you're kind of left with this new law that Jesus brings going, there's no way. If I'm honest about it, I can't live up to that. And he goes, that's right. The only way you can begin to experience this new life living in you is by just admitting the fact you can't do it. That's just a a confession of your own inability and then a repentance that says, you know, I, I realize I can't do it. And and now it's, it's in a matter of saying, God, I need you to do this in me. I need you to forgive me, to empower me, to make me like Jesus and this law that he's given. And so Jesus goes to the cross as this greater prophet who is like Moses. And so you see this parallel being built throughout this. And then I think it's interesting because Matthew, as he's making this point that Jesus is this new Moses that you should be looking for. He goes and he fast forwards the story. So we go into Matthew, you get up to Matthew chapter 17. And at a certain point, you get this interesting passage of scripture where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to the very top of the mountain. He brings them to the top of the mountain. And as they're at this mountaintop experience, Jesus is transfigured. Let me read you the scripture in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. After six days, Jesus took... With him, Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up to the high mountain by themselves. Left the other ones down below. There he was transformed, transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, this is interesting, isn't it interesting? Here, Matthew includes this story. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. These two great prophets of the Old Testament. And here's Moses and here's Elijah, and Peter says to Jesus, Lord, because Peter doesn't know what else to say. And Peter just has to speak. He's, I think he's kind of like me, you know, sometimes I just get, and I just, you, you gotta say something. He's uncomfortable. Lord, this, this, this is really good for us to be here. You know, if you would like it, I'll build some little shelters, some little homes, so that you and Moses and Elijah can stay here. Now, he's not building it for apparitions. He's building it for real people that he sees and he's experiencing right in front of him. Here is Moses and here is Jesus and here is Elijah and Jesus between them. Moses pointing to the greater prophet. Elijah, also one of the great prophets, pointing to Jesus. And while he was still speaking, as Peter was speaking, a bright cloud covered them. Now this is really interesting because in the Old Testament it says this dense dark cloud came when the people were standing down at the mountain and, and God was speaking. And it says, and, and this is so important to understand, in Deuteronomy it says a voice spoke from the cloud. So there's, inc- there's incredible parallels. If you have been raised 
um, with your own Sunday school stories, so to speak, in a Jewish culture in the Old Testament, you would know this. This, you would, this would have the ring of what happened back at the mountain. And here at this mountain, God's revealing himself and a voice comes from the cloud and says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. And while the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. One of the key things of a prophet is that they speak forth a word. And that word is to guide you and to direct you. And that word is has the ability to lead you into places that God wants you to go. He gives us his word, the Bible, and in his Bible is his revelation of his will. So often we ask God, God, what is your will? What does you want for us? And the reality is, um, God says a lot of it's just right here. It's pretty easy. I'll share with you what it means to live like me. But also God guides us throughout our life. And, and as I was preparing this and thinking all the different ways to go, there's so many ways you can draw analogies here. One of the things I wanted to say to us as a church family at, Christ, at Christmas is that we can celebrate and give thanks, we can rest and we can relax and we can rejoice that Jesus is sufficient to guide you. I mean, that's what Moses did. Moses came and stood as an intermediary in so many different ways, but one of the things he did is he just guided the people right out of, of Egypt and guided them right through this, this water, and he guided them into this wilderness where God provided for them, and he guided them eventually to the promised land. And Moses was sufficient then to guide. But here's the reality. Jesus is more sufficient to guide you in your life. We are called to pursue the Lord with all our hearts. And I just want to say to you, if in your heart you're saying, God, I want to follow you. I want to um, know your voice. I want to read your word and understand and get to know you. I am in this place that I am putting myself in a position where I'm humbly seeking to follow you. I just want you to, to rejoice. And to know that Jesus is sufficient to guide you. He's sufficient to move you to where he wants you to go. You can trust him with your life. It doesn't mean that we are not vigilant and we don't watch and pray and that we don't keep our heart very very aware of the things that can tempt us and the voices that, that can call us aside. But it does mean this, that if your heart is to follow him and if you are seeking to place your, yourself before him, he has the ability, he is sufficient to guide you and to move you to where he wants you to be. I was... Um, Thinking about this and, and, and praying through this, and, and one of the great reminders of Christmas is that, that not only is he sufficient to guide you, but he's actually sufficient to guide his church. Do you know that, that the church of God, which began after Christ rose from the dead, and at that coming of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit, has remained 
alive and on target for the things that God wants it to do up to this point. And sometimes I, I go, man, I get like nervous. Are, are we going to make it? Is the church going to make it? Do you know what? That, that the word of God is, is very clear that Jesus has a hold of his people. And he will guide it to the very end. And you know what? The church has gone through some dark ages. That does not mean that the American church will necessarily get there to the end. But the church of God, the people of God, people who are seeking to follow and to hear his voice and follow him, he will guide. He promises that. Because Jesus is sufficient to guide you. I've asked a, a friend of mine, recent friend, Derek, and Derek, if you want to come forward, to to share his story. Because um, in this process of of working through this message and thinking through this message, um, I've gotten a chance to to know Derek. I um, Derek has run sound for us, uh, Derek Fornis. So Derek, thank you for coming up and being willing to share. Um, Derek, one day, accosted me. As I was leaving the church after a message, and he, you just said thank you, um, and you started to share with me how. So, because we 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 want to make sure the sound is good, so we employ people who really know what they're doing. <laughs> so Derek works for a company called EMI, and he he works for us, and so I knew that, and I knew that he, you know I know he's up there from time to time, and I see him, and and I know it hadn't been that long, and he stops me, and, he's, and he just shares with me. He says, you know, I I was working on this day. And God's word spoke to me, and I was working on this day, and, 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 and he's just shared these things. And since then, I invited Derek to come to a small group of guys that meets on Tuesday mornings, and, and you've done that. You're very brave, courageous to do that. But Derek, I thought you could just share with people how Jesus has guided you, and I thought that would be a neat thing for them to hear. So here, you go ahead, and you can stand up here, and <laughs> don't be nervous. <laughs> I never am. <laughs> <laughs> no, Derek, so thanks. Go ahead and, and share. Good morning, everyone. I'm terrified. <laughs> uh, my name's Derek. Uh, it's great to unformally meet all of you. Um, so as Kevin mentioned, I work for uh, EMI Audio. It's my grandfather's business, actually. Uh, I'm a sound engineer full-time. When people have an event and they want me to run sound for it, they'll contact the store. They say, hey, we need four speakers set up. I have... 20 microphones, I need a projector screen, I do all that. So, um, yeah, that's what I do for my 9 to 5. Um, most of the time, during Sundays, there's a lot of churches that would contact me and just say, hey, our sound isn't very good, we need a sound guy, that sort of thing. So, this is one of the many churches that I've been to. I've been to quite a few. Um, I haven't gone to any of them this much, though. <laughs> I can say that much. There's, yeah, there's plenty that have had me come back a few times for trainings and that sort of thing, but none of them ever spoke to me. I would hear it just to make sure it sounded good, but I'd never listen necessarily. And Kevin's word actually spoke to me several times. Um, I grew up in a secular home. Religion never really was a thing for my family. So this is a terribly new thing for me. Um, quite frankly, I love it. Um, <laughs> the first time he ever spoke to me was one time he talked about identity. Um, I, I had a friend blackmail me. I had a friend record something that I said about someone else and show it to them. You know, I thought we were just having a, a private conversation, but then he ended up showing it to me. It sabotaged a friendship of mine. To this day, we unfortunately still don't talk. And I was like, that's kind of strange. 
It's like that's that's awfully coincidental. Um, and like I mentioned, I'm, I'm a sound engineer, and over the summer, the last I think four years of my life, um, it's 60 hours a week from April until September. It's very brutal. There's times where I'll work 16-hour shifts. On my 21st birthday, I worked 18 hours. I got two hours of sleep and then worked five hours the next morning. It's, it's, it's a lot. There was a time that I, I messed up a gig. Um, no one could hear. And that's my one job. That's why, that's why people hire you me. You haven't done that here yet. So. <laughs> Thank you. But... Yeah, that and that was it. And so, of course, managers were yelling at me and everything. I felt terrible because, of course, I'm tearing down. Everyone's just glaring at me. I'm just trying, I'm trying to grab all the speakers and all that stuff, and I'm just getting all these looks. And I'm like, well, I, I need to get all the stuff out of here. But um, he talked about failure that day. It's the next day, wasn't it? Right? The next day, yeah. the very next day. And I was like, okay, two times, maybe this is, maybe this means something. Before the next time that I ran sound. I had a dream. I had a dream that I went here. I wasn't up there. I was right there. And the next day, Kevin talked about a way out. And as I mentioned, the, the, the work that I do, it's a lot. And I'm, I'm our head production tech. So I, every gig that we do, I'm in charge of. I have to make sure that it goes well. It's all on me. I'm very young. I started doing it when I was 19. Uh, there's probably plenty of things that I shouldn't have done. It might, it might have been too big of a responsibility, but I'm, I didn't even see an end in sight to it. I just was like, well, every summer that I have, it's it's just gone. I'm not going to see my friends as much. That's just how it's going to be. And he started talking about a way out. And then I thought the night before, I had a dream that I went here. And I was like, maybe Sundays are the day that I need. Eventually, things at work were even, you know, they were, they were getting a little crazy. There's a manager of mine who kind of was, I don't want to say torturing everyone at work, but just giving everyone way too hard of a time for no reason. He just was really vicious about everything. There's certain ways you can handle it to where everything can go well, but it just was coming from such an angry place. Um, so it was myself that was experiencing it. It was plenty of my other coworkers. Um, and eventually one day he, he ended up getting very mad at me. He, he brought me upstairs and he said, um, you know, what's going on? And I struggle a bit with anxiety. So even being on here is quite a lot for me. But at that moment, he terrifies me. He makes me shake. At that moment, I didn't even tremble. I didn't have anything prepared to say and I had no idea what to say. But this is the first time that I think God spoke through me. This is the first time that I felt it. Everything was just lining up so perfectly. And I, I just, I said like the perfect sentence. <laughs> Wasn't I, you, huh? <laughs> no, no, I did not come up with that. And I even, you know, I told my other coworkers and they said, I never thought of how to word it. That was perfect. And I just talked and talked and talked and talked. And I told them this is too much. I said, I don't, I can't do this anymore. I admitted to it. I'm, this is too big of a feat for me. And had I not said anything, like I said, who knows how much longer I could have been doing it. I I even ended up crying in front of him. And I don't think that if I had that, he would have heard me. And at the end, and like I said, I grew up in a a secular family. So when I said this next sentence, he hardly even knew how to handle it. I said, God does not want me to do this anymore. Ever since then, he's been a treat. (laughs) 
<laughs> at work, which is awesome. <laughs> so God guided you, started to hear your heart, started to speak to you, used you to help say some things that have helped a whole bunch of other people. Jesus is guiding through you, others as well, in that sense, which is what we're called to do. And like you said, you're so young in it. And there's a, sometimes I want to protect those who are young <laughs> and just let them listen and hear God and let Jesus guide. And uh, tell just one other thing is you've come to, out to this small group and how important maybe that has been for you. I know I didn't ask you that, but if you don't mind. No, this is, this, that actually has a lot to do with what I was talking about. Like I mentioned, I, I really never had a hobby. Um, over the summer, people would just be like, what do you do? Work. That's it. Can you hang out this day if I don't work every time? That's what I would say every single time. Now I got a group of guys that I get to see every single week. There's a few I, of them right there. Yeah, there are. <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> um, I get a group of guys that I get to see every week. We have an agenda. Uh, and it, I've never felt so cared for by people that I hardly know. You know, I always, I feel so warm doing it and everything worked. He, Kevin just texted me out of nowhere and we're doing a job at the new Shields location. We're putting a thousand speakers in there. It's going to take months, but that's, I would do it Tuesday mornings. I was able to move it to Thursday so then I could do this on Tuesday. There's no reason for me not to do it. And it's, it's just been an absolute blessing. I've never owned a Bible. I've never opened it up. I've never read it. And just like I said, how everything just lined up so perfectly. Everything that we were talking about was relevant. Yeah. We picked up at the perfect point where my life was at. Thank you. Thanks for sharing, Derek. Appreciate it. So I don't know what you're fearing this morning. I don't know where your heart is. I just go, boy, isn't it really cool? If your heart is open to want to be guided by God, he knows how to do it. He is sufficient to guide you into the places he needs for you to be. And even if you have willingly disobeyed, he knows how to get you back on course. I mean, there's been all kinds of people in the Old Testament. You look at David and look at, you look at uh, Jonah. <laughs> he knows how to course correct. But he needs you to be a part of that. And that part is to just admit your need of him and say, you know what? The course I've self-chosen, which I know is displeasing to you, God, I just need to let go of that and, and start grabbing hold of your hand. You, you may be, some, some of you are living hyper-vigilant thinking, if I don't control every situation, everything that happens at Christmas, and if I don't control this and I don't control that, I just want to go relax. Trust Jesus. Listen to him. Some of you may have been in a situation like Derek and don't even know that God can actually speak to you and that he does love you and he can save you and he can do what you can't do and that is to make you acceptable in the presence of of this holy God through his death and 
his love for you and forgiveness on the cross. You know, Jesus is, what's so interesting about this, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is not only a prophet like Moses, he is greater because he is the truth. He's just not pointing it out and drawing a picture of it. He is the artist's truth. You'll never hear Jesus lie to you. He will never say, sorry, I must have been mistaken. I'm really sorry that I sent you this way. You may think that he's made a mistake, but he hasn't. He's not merely someone who offers some good insights that maybe you go, well, that one's a good one. I'll take that one, but I won't take this one. Jesus is the truth. He's not only a prophet like Moses who brings the truth, he's greater. He tells us he's the way. Moses provided people out of the physical bondage of slavery as a picture of what Jesus would come to do. And that is to bring you out of the bondage of sin. And Jesus is the way. He is the one who can bring you out of whatever thing, habit, sin is in your life. If you're willing to trust him. And it doesn't necessarily happen immediately. It happens as God participates and you participate with him. And he will lead you and guide you and begin to work out that which has a hold of your heart. But here's something that needs to happen. It's probably very important that you don't live with this alone, but you confess it with someone who's mature enough to help begin to guide you. And Jesus is not only a prophet like Moses, he's greater. He's the life. Moses helped them escape physical death as they went through and had Egypt chasing after them, ready to take their life. And they went through this Red Sea. And he led them to the fullness of life in the land of promise. And Jesus, that's just a picture pointing to the fact that this life that Jesus has come to bring is not about just escape from physical death. It's escape from our spiritual death. It's about a life that is eternal, both in quality today and in quantity years to come. There is an eternal life. There's a fullness that comes that God wants for every person to know that when you die... You don't just die. You have an opportunity to live with him forever. And that should bring encouragement to every person. Because he... I know at times um, it's really important to uh, talk about guiding and to be assured that Jesus is guiding you. But it's also important to know how. And... Really, part of it is just knowing God. And the way you come to know God is to know his word. And to put yourself in a regular basis where you're hearing his word. And so if you're saying, well, how can I know this? How can I be guided? One is is get to know God's word. Begin to hide it in your heart. Take maybe a phrase and memorize it. Take a verse like trust in the Lord with all your heart and in all your ways, you know, acknowledge him and, and, and let verses like Proverbs 3 or other things begin to kind of just settle your heart and, and, and move in your heart. 
some of it is you need to become acquainted to the voice of God that he wants to speak to you. Not just as you read his word, but you become acquainted to it in in the sense that he can direct you. And, and part of that is just practice. It's just saying, God, you know, I want to hear you. And, and so it's conversational. It's through the day. God, just ask him, what do, you, what do you want me to do here? And listen. And you may go, oh, is that really, you know, follow him. One thing you can know is that he will never tell you something that is contradictory to his word. That's why it's important to know it. But it is really true. The most exciting life, I can tell you, the most exciting life to live is the one that is walking in his word, knowing his word, but listening to his voice. It's allowing God to speak through you like Derek shared. Because then you get to watch God at work. It's not something that you just go, wow, that wasn't me. Look what God just did. Not just for me, but for a whole group of people. And so part of it is just practice. Let's pray. I'm going to ask if you would just kind of, with your heart, just listen to him. And just ask, do you want Jesus to guide you? He is sufficient to guide you. He can guide you. No matter what you might be going through right now, you may feel yourself in a wilderness. You know what? God will provide. He knows how to provide. Just continue to walk with him. Continue to listen to him. In that place where you feel like maybe you don't even hear his voice, he's still with you. That's what we talk about. God with us, Emmanuel. Some of you, I'm just going to ask you just in this time as we pray, um, I'm going to ask you to relax and rest in Jesus who can still storms and who can feed thousands and who can heal the sick. I'm going to ask you to just let go of whatever, all this pressure right now. And in your own mind, if you can even imagine, just think of a little child, how a little child, you know how you grab a little child's hand and it's just, and you can kind of walk with that little child and they just feel secure. Just take your little hand and right now just put it in the hand of God. Put it in the hand of God and just relax and trust him. And for some, it may be that you know that you haven't been walking with God. You've been apart from him. And, right, and you know right now you need him. And he just is saying, repent. Just admit you're wrong. Confess the rebelliousness. And just ask Jesus to forgive you. And, and here's the key thing. Ask him to begin to fill you with his presence. To fill you with a love for him. for some you just need to receive right now just you need to just open your heart and say Jesus I just receive you and invite you to walk with me to guide and to steer my life Father we thank you we praise you in Christ's name Amen I'm going to remind you again the kiosk in the back. You can sign up as small groups as well, but kind of uh, take care and, and note that. God bless you. Have a great day.